Hi, and welcome back to Gray Area. I'm Krista Rodriguez, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Rising London DJ and producer Atrip. Atrip, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Again, I'm so excited to be here with you. Where are you in the world at this moment? London, Southwest London, in my home, in my bedroom, my cozy little studio. It looks really cozy in there. Um, how long have you lived in South London? Oof, it's been a while. I've been here for, I think, after summer, it's going to be 16 years. Um, because I am, I'm, I'm German-Polish. I'm actually from, from the UK, but I've lived here forever. So, um, yeah, it's coming up to, 15, to 16 years now. Okay, so it's it's safe to say that you know the the area pretty well, yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. If if someone like me were to visit your hood for the first time, where's the one place you would take them to get a sense of where you live? Um, that that depends. You see, I mean, like London, London is um, obviously massive, and there's many different things to experience. If someone was to come to my neighborhood, I think I would take them to Richmond Park to walk my dog with me because that's my reality in this city most of the time. You know, it's a very green part of, of London. It's very very rural, very kind of quiet, very nature bound. So um, if you were to come down my area, that's probably what we would do. <laughs> no matter the weather though. So bring the wellies. <laughs> Fair enough. So it seems like nature is kind of your natural habitat. I mean, I see you have a, a plant right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I live, I live in between a lot of plants here. I've got um, another bunch like literally sat on my monitors on both sides so it's like a sound engineer's nightmare but yeah it's it's to me it's really important I think um or I grew up in Germany I come from the like deep deep Bavaria in the mountains you know so I grew up on fields and mountains as a kid and and then kind of always carried that with me especially because as I said I think where we moved here in the in London it's it's very green as well so it's just quite it's it's a level of like peace and quiet that is very important to me, especially when you live in a city like this. You know, it's such an amazing place to grow up and to live, but it's also a lot. So nature offers that kind of, I think, peace that a lot of environments in, in, in this city don't, you know, so. I can totally understand that. So like you said, you're Polish German. You were born in Poland, but you moved to German. You moved to Munich, if I remember correctly correctly fairly early in your life um right. deep into the countryside i mean i heard that you grew up with a lot of like animals like sheep cows um pigs maybe were they uh were they your actual like farm animals or were they just animals kind of just hanging around your your home no the latter yeah yeah it was more that you know you kind of to get to school and to get to football training you'd have to cross farmers kind of properties and stuff so it was the kind of animals and like scents mostly like this is the one thing that I always notice is like every time I go you know you drive you know when you drive your car through like the countryside and you have the windows down and suddenly you can smell like cows like th those kinds of scents for me is what always reminds me of just like the the childhood and you know the the kind of things that you witness as a kid you know i think your perception changes but i think those very basic things like the sense of smell are so powerful when you're a kid and like that's what always reminds me of of, of that area so it's it's more that my you know my family was never funnily enough my, my grandparents in poland they own a farm and we have 
chickens and the neighbors have pigs and so there's that connection on my polish side for sure which still is there today but no bigger kind of cattle no cows no nothing nothing of that sort um my hometown is the, the nickname is is actually dairy valley and when it rains especially is when you can really get that yeah. uh, whiff of cow as i like to call it um yeah. <laughs> but speaking of nostalgia what uh, what role did music play in your early life? Um, an interesting one because my family is is very unmusical. Like you, I, all the time, you hear stories of artists. Like my dad was part of a band, and my mom was this. My like it wasn't like that at all for me. So for me, it was always something that uh, my earliest memories of music is is like going to football games like well as you guys would call it soccer games with my dad in Germany um we would get in the car and drive to the stadium and then he would put on whatever music he was listening to and we'd always talk about the music that's like my earliest memories with it and then me kind of just as you do as a kid you just I think develop fascination for things without any particular reason there's just that unspoken kind of just affinity that you have towards certain things as a child and so I would beg him to like for him to borrow me those CDs that he would play. I remember it was like wild mixer things. It was two prodigy albums. And then it was like a random like G unit compilation of like 50 cent and Eminem and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it was a wild mix of things. And then my uncle was the one put on the Polish side that introduced me to more kind of current electronic stuff, which at the time, especially in Eastern Europe was a lot of like, hardcore a lot of like hard style trance you know that kind of stuff so i would go to poland and he would kind of send me all of that stuff early tiesto kind of stuff as well you know and um and that was just kind of the inf the, the kind of early connection to it and i you know i would spend a lot of time just listening to music on my own i think that's even as a young kid you know being whatever six years old i would want to have the cds in my room and play them on my player and just i would, I would just sit there and listen you know and i think again it's something that is is hard to describe why that was it's one of these things that you just as a kid pick up and never let go car rides and car rides with dads especially we'll get to that uh, a little later um mm. but uh, if I remember correctly, you started producing pretty early on, um, but how how young were you exactly? Um, I started producing, I was 11, I think. Um, I had been playing guitar for about a year and because um, I was in a bit of a rock phase at the time. And then, um, yeah, I just eventually started listening to more and more electronic music. And I just got curious, I think, about how Cause you know, when you play an instrument, it makes, you know, that made sense to me. It was like, you play an instrument, you put it into a mic and then someone plays the drums, you put it together and you have a song, right? Like electronic music was just way more abstract to me. And it was just curiosity. Like how, how do you make, you know, a synth? Like, what is that? How do you create those weird bass sounds that electronic music has? And this was the time when like Skrillex started popping up in the scene as well, which obviously blew I think not just me, but everyone away at the time, just in terms of sound design, like the stuff that he was capable of on his laptop. And so it was just a matter of like begging my mom to borrow me her laptop. And then I just sat down, downloaded some random serial box softwares and, and just had a go at it. And then 
yeah kind of you know again like no influence no one in my environment that was doing the same thing so it was just like a lot of sitting down being curious and um you know experimenting but yeah i was super young it was yeah like 11 i think so we had just moved again within london so i was 11 at the time yeah I'm glad you used the word curious because that's exactly where I was going to go next. You seem like a very curious child. Um, were you kind of always wondering just how things work in general or was it, was it more specifically electronic music? No, I think I, I do think that that's, that's a general, a general statement that you could make about me. I think, you know, I've always enjoyed, there's always not everything. I'm not someone that gets excited over everything, but I, for instance, enjoyed history class in school. I enjoyed geography because it was like, think, well, to me, logically applicable things to life that were just interesting. And so it's just, I think being open and being curious till this day is very important to me. And so I think with electronic music, that's pretty much what it was. I won't lie to you. Like, I think guitar was something that my parents classic thing, like, oh, I want my kid to play an instrument, even though none of them played instruments. But it was just one of these hobbies that they encouraged me to pick up because because I listened to so much music and I'm glad that, I'm glad that they did, obviously, because it, it kind of forced me into this mindset of like, you know, have it like actually replicating some of the stuff that I was so interested in just listening to and consuming every day. And so the next step was then, yeah, just, you know, I guess, you know, feeding on that curiosity that is probably at the same time, the biggest one of my life, you know, I think without having someone that sits you down all the time and teaching you out of your own free worlds, just indulge in something that no one around you was doing, I guess, requires a pretty special level of just curiosity and, and, and just um, passion for it as well. And so there, you know, there aren't many things that I would compare that to in my life. And I, I would say that producing music, whether it's electronic music or anything else is, is probably the one um when it comes to that but yeah i think it's a mix of both so then how did djing enter the picture way later way later i mean like i started i was producing and then at the time like i was uploading kind of these um like producer tutorial things like you'd have like some big track like do you remember animals by martin garrix oh yeah <laughs> yeah so like the, you know this was like the time that when i started getting to a level where i was like confident enough to like put my stuff on soundcloud that was that time and um which would have been what like 2014 maybe 2013 around that time and like so i started putting my stuff on youtube and on soundcloud and then started slowly building a profile on there and then eventually got good enough to like confident enough to go and reach out to some labels you know and then you start having your first little kind of single releases with record labels, um, some American, a lot of European labels. And, um, and then I kind of switched sonically and went more into the, cause yeah, at the time it was a lot of like progressive house, very European kind of progressive house sound. Um, Avicii was like my, my idol at the time, like my biggest hero. Um, and then slowly kind of went more into, into like heavier kind of things um more dubstep more like bass house more drum and bass and that's when i started releasing with like slightly bigger labels like i you know i released with mad decent at the time you know diplo's diplo's label i released with insomniac obviously massive label group um in the states and um that's kind of what then got me on the radar of 
I guess, like clubs and promoters and people that were more interested. As soon as the music started getting some traction and it started getting supported by other, you know, kind of like bigger DJs and the sound and the scene that I was operating in, that's when all of that picked up very quickly. Um, I had done like very basic DJing when I was still at school, you know, like you DJ like your friends, like school house party or like a school disco or whatever. I, I did do that, but very little just because I realized very quickly that, you know, if you're solely DJing, I see that as a complete art of its own. You know, that's like being a good DJ has nothing to do with being a good producer and vice versa. And they're two arts that are completely separate and like, you know, DJing like house parties and stuff was like, you realize that you will have to play ABBA and you will have to play then like Kanye. And then you might have to play some techno because like you're at a party and all your friends are there and you want to play something for everyone. And as much as that is fun being at the party for me in terms of DJing and performing, that's obviously not what I wanted to do. I wanted to like curate the sounds that I was excited about, which is really selfish, but also okay. You know, like you don't have to be the DJ that stands in the local bar and just, you know, pleases crowds and reads the room. And so for me, I chose very early on to just wait with it until I get the opportunity to play my own music. And then it was like, again, just releasing stuff until we got to the point with, you know, my manager at the time and just my team where we had people reach out to us. Um, because I think in general, that's always a good position to be in. You know, I think you can do a lot before you reach out to people and ask people to do something for you. You know, it's like, just release your music. And so we did that, stuck to our guns. And eventually, yeah, those gigs started coming in. And that's when I had to, 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 to take like a massive leap in my head of like making music in my room and suddenly making music for like an environment that I could DJ in and incorporate my music and DJ sets and learning how to DJ even and learning how to read a room. And it was a brutal learning curve because I would say that like my music was ahead of way ahead of my DJing and my ability to just stand in front of a crowd and also be comfortable with it, you know, and I really struggled. I remember I really struggled at the time because it was, I managed to very early on get on like a, a relatively good booking agency here in, in, in Europe as well. And, you know, they were able to immediately just place me on pretty big stages with big festivals. And, and it was, it was a lot, you know, it was really intense. Um, but, um, yeah, that was kind of the starting point. So it was, it always came secondary to me always. Um, just because like I said, I learned very quickly that I want to be able to perform my music and the, the, the stuff that I like versus, you know, having to jump into a random person's wedding and just sussing out how older people here, what would they like to listen to? That's not for me. Um, so DJing for me is probably more a means of curating and my own sound and my own music versus being a DJ as an in and of its own, you know? Absolutely. And you're totally right that DJing and producing are two totally separate fields requiring two very different skill sets. Um, yeah. They help each other. You know, I think they, they, obviously there's a lot of connections and I think being, for instance, you know, a producer that is capable of a lot of different things will also allow you to understand how music kind of like performs when you deliver it as a DJ, you know, if you, if you are familiar with many different styles of production and therefore, you know, your understanding of tempo or whatever that can help your DJing, but also the other way around, you know, you, for instance, if you're a brilliant DJ, 
going back into the studio to producing for the first time, you might not have the tools, but your arrangement, for instance, to make an electronic track that feels right in terms of energy balance and levels as it progresses will be way ahead of someone like me, for instance, who started in the studio. So it's, they help each other always, um, but they're not mutually exclusive, you know? So was there a moment where you decided that this was something that you wanted to pursue professionally? Definitely. Um, I had basically, so I finished school. Um, that was around the time when I was dying to make heavier kind of bass music. And then I went to university here in London, did that for three years. And while I was here at uni, that was when I was kind of, I guess, like in terms of my production skill at a point where I was like, okay, I want to try and build this and just see what happens, you know, just as a side thing, you know, next to uni as a passion, as a hobby. Um, and built that up to the point where when I finished university in my final year, I had the full summer kind of packed out with festival shows. And so for me, it was probably while I was writing my dissertation, which was when all these gigs started coming in was when I was like, this could actually like work out, you know, and because I kind of, I finished school, I didn't take a year out or something like that. I went straight into uni. I didn't take a gap year, something that you can do here. So you basically, you know, do like a work year in between your second and third year at uni, just to like work, gain work experience or whatever. Didn't do that either. You know, I was, I was like 21 at the time. And I thought to myself, you know, let's just do the summer, you know, and just see what happens. And I guess just pursue it. Um, that was definitely the time because especially with electronic music, I think live, needless to say, obviously any with, with music in general, live is, is where your financial sustainability and longevity will kind of like, not necessarily longevity, but sustainability in the short run will obviously come from. And, and especially in electronic music, that was for me, like the moment when I realized, wow, like I can actually make money doing this and doing it on a regular basis. So that was the time when, yeah, I decided this should be, this should be what I should be focusing on right now. So I saw you worked as, uh, or in, in A&R for an artist management company for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. That was while I was at university. So I, when I finished school, it was like, I already knew that I wanted to pursue music, but I was obviously, it was way too soon to make that decision. And, um, because there were so many things that I still needed to learn and do. And so it was like, and I also wanted to go to uni. Like I really wanted to indulge in like higher academia and just go down that path as well. And so I then kind of ended up in the situation where I was like, okay, what do I just very practically, you know, like what, what am I going to study then? You know? And then I was thinking of going, you know, for like a music kind of music degree, music production, something in that direction scrapped that idea pretty quickly because, you know, just, I spoke to, you know, just reached out to some people that I thought could give me some, some decent advice and was told that, you know, that was not the best use of your time. And then I thought of doing music business or something along those lines. And also similarly just thought like, why specify on a, on a particular industry in your undergrad, you know, so your bachelors ended up just doing business management, you know, just to have something, you know, very broad, very general that I can take away some core kind of things from to then, you know, feed into my own career and basically started that degree. And literally after like a month, 
hated it so much that I saw that I thought, okay, I've, I've got to kind of like set myself up differently because it's not going to work for three years. I won't enjoy this. I feel like I'm wasting my time. And then that, yeah, that's when I reached out to, to this artist management company, um, here in London, they do Moby, um, they do Royxop, they do M83. So a couple of like super exciting, like really well-established, obviously massive acts and, um, it's a really tiny company that has a really interesting setup. And I kind of just went to the guy that runs the company, pretty much just asked him for a coffee and some advice, you know, because I was, I was lost. I didn't know where to go. I knew that I wanted to make music and I knew that if it wasn't my own music, I wanted to work with musicians and I wanted to work on music and stuff. And, and, you know, if you, it's a weird industry, you know, especially when you're in that age and you're trying to just make a career and somehow just like enter this crazy world that we live in and just find your space. Um, I think you just sometimes need a little bit of guidance. And then he invited me to come down and, and basically just uh, start as an intern if I wanted next to my uni course, if I had time and obviously without hesitation, you know, took that offer up and ended up staying there yeah, for over three, well, three years, pretty much on the dot. Um, which was, you know, incredibly insightful. Um, I, I don't think I would have finished my uni degree if it wasn't for that kind of side activity where you just, where I kind of felt like I'm, I'm doing something that will help me in the long run. I'm doing something that will educate me. I'm doing something that is worth my time. Um, you know, it's like, I, I owe that company and that guy like a lot, I think, because, you know, it's just very unique opportunity to jump into a system that is so, I could go into like how the company set up now, but I'm not going to bore you with that, but it's, it's, it's a very special kind of setup. And I was very lucky to be able to just learn across the board, everything from, you know, A&R obviously, because that was my role, just have fun and be creative and have the resources of like being able to like represent some like super exciting musicians that a lot of people wanted to work with while being very close to like how deals work, you know, having to commission remixes and stuff like all of these things, like things that I just learned over time. And then obviously coming out of that opportunity, having worked three years in artist management, having done you know, deals, there's a legal knowledge that I've acquired. There's a, obviously like a, in terms of releasing music, how, how do you release music properly? What does it take? How do you register music properly? What is the difference between publishing and, and master and mechanical worlds and all that stuff, you know, it's like this whole world that I kind of entered there and, um, yeah. And then, yeah, I kind of, I left there at the same time, pretty much when I left uni to then go and, you know, kind of like do that festival summer and play some shows. Yeah. I mean, when, when producers like you kind of, who grew up just doing it in their bedrooms get into the actual industry it can be so overwhelming because they have to consider more than just their own creative they have to consider all these things that you just mentioned find the financial and the business industry or business side of it and um not only was the information you acquired at that company so valuable but you were actually getting paid to learn it <laughs> yeah Exactly. I couldn't believe it at the time, you know, and I, the, 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 that was the crazy thing is I started as literally an unpaid intern, but I obviously just wanted to learn and I wanted to be there. And then it took it a couple of months and then they put me on a basic kind of intern salary. By the end of it, I was like a part-time, but full-time paid kind of employee there, you know, like, and, um, no, it was, it's incredible. And like, I can only stress it enough. Like, 
it's it's now that I've had that experience and I've acquired all that knowledge, it's like it's it's crazy to think that you know most people don't have that knowledge and that understanding until this day you know i do i meet up with other musicians or like you know i have a session with someone or whatever someone that if you look at the numbers or like the setup that they have you would think oh they're probably more established than i am they must have some more experience you have conversations with people i think it's crazy how often that's not the case and and i say this to everyone like it's people have to understand that it's like, sure, our currency is art, is music, but it's it's a business. It's a currency at the end of the day. And so if you want to protect yourself and like set yourself up in a way that you can actually go and like chase this dream that you, you're chasing, because that's what we do as musicians. It's like, it's so important to understand what you're working with and to operate this crazy, crazy kind of shark pit as it is sometimes, unfortunately. And, and, and again, like, I don't think it has to be as, frustrating and as worrying and as like scary as it might be to some people just because it's 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 an industry that you know you can very well operate in if you understand how it works and it's a self-protective mechanism but for me also it's just really key to like also you know i i don't i'm a very kind of rational person and i always like having plans like i'm not very I like no I like knowing where I'm going and I've always been like this very kind of trying to be objective with my everyday process and there's supposed to be like a structure to things and so I need it I need it and I don't know how else I would do it because again it's it's it can be very overwhelming and I think um anyone that has that opportunity and these opportunities are out there everywhere you know it's like again I started off completely unpaid and that's obviously like a privilege that I have like I I was able to stay with my parents at the time while I was at uni. And so um, I, I didn't need the the financial part in the beginning, the financial kind of like support that the job would have offered. But anyone that can do it, I can only recommend it. So, so you essentially worked in business, but you decided very early on in uni that business management was not for you. What did you ultimately end up studying? I did finish that degree. I did international business management. I finished it. You stuck it out. Yeah, yeah I did. Um, I did because, you know, it was it was at a fairly, you know, well, good university here in London. And like, I, again, I kind of heard out the people that I kind of looked up to at the time, you know, the people that were closest to me in terms of advice. And it did make sense. And, you know, I did, as I said, I did want a degree and, um, and it did kind of make sense at the end of the day, you know, for me, the music, like working in that arts management company was the bridge for me, because that is when I understood there's the fun part of me sitting in the studio. And then there's the really boring part of like reading some book on like some accounting theory from the seventies. And for me, the reason why I struggled so much in the beginning was because I didn't see the connection. And that artist management company taught me the middle ground between those two and why it's so important to know both. And so, um, don't get me wrong, it definitely didn't get more exciting, but like it definitely got more, you know, I guess like uh, reasonable and I and I understood why it's important. And so, yeah, I stuck out three years of accounting and business theories and yeah, it's, um, but you know, it again, I, I, it's, 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 it's knowledge that, you know, no one can take away from you. And I think knowledge is, is good always. And, um, you know, it's uh, 
it's a time that also I really wanted. I think uni can be so much fun. And, and it also, the other thing you have to bear in mind is that it kind of buys, for me, I felt like it was buying me time, you know, because I knew that I wanted to do music after. So it was like, I've got an excuse to focus on this for three years now, I'll do my music on the side and I won't need to take a job or like, you know, kind of like, it was like an excuse. It was, I was buying myself time. That's how I saw it at the time, which is terrible. But, um, but now looking back, it was, it was worth doing. It was worth doing. <laughs> Absolutely. So getting back to the creative side of your music, the music that you made in the first few years of your career is quite different from what you make now. What were you going for in terms of your sound and vision? Um, you mean now, like after I've changed? No, at the at the very beginning. We'll we'll get to what you're making now. <laughs> um, honestly, I again just like randomly, I just loved dubstep. You know, <laughs> I just really loved heavy electronic music. That started because of my lack of understanding how that was like possible to make and how that was possible to make. There's something about the energy of these genres, you know, that is like. Just like, you know how like obviously like a piano ballad can give you goosebumps, but for me, like it's also, if I hear a very well put together, super aggressive dubstep tune, it does the same thing to me for some reason. Maybe that's the nerdy producer in me, I don't know, but it, it just does something to me that I really love. And I still love this music so much. And, um, and you know, I think it, it I, I came in at a good time. You know, there's there's some people in the past that kind of made that, sound really blow up like obviously i think globally skrillex needless to say is someone that revolutionized that entire scene you know obviously i i'm blessed to have grown up in london so like i i knew nero and like magnetic man and even earlier than that like benga and casper and all these guys that were doing like proper dubstep as as i knew it here and um yeah, it was, it was just like, I liked how underground it was. I also liked that no one liked it around me, you know? I liked that it was like obscure. I liked that a lot of people didn't understand it. And I liked that I didn't know why I loved it either, you know? It was like this, just this like weird love. And then, yeah, and then I just, obviously, then naturally you kind of obviously you're drawn to what you love. And then I started just making the same stuff. And um, yeah, I kind of, I took it, I, t I took it from, you know, this heritage that I have here in this UK underground scene um, to this more like European, bigger kind of like stage that I was operating in. And I think that's what worked quite well, you know, is like those parallels between UK heritage of underground electronic UK music. There's a few guys that like, do you know Joyride, for instance? I do. Like Joyride is like, I remember he was obviously fairly recently, but like he did exactly what I was trying to do. He was just way better, better than me and better than anyone at it. You know, I think he took this like heritage of like, obviously he's obviously older than me too. You know, I think he's got much closer proximity and much more personal history with that kind of influence that he's, he addresses in his music than I ever had. Um, cause he's a different generation, but, um, he did exactly that. You know, he took these sounds that like, if you live in the UK, you kind of grow up with those jungle garage kind of like laser sounds, those basic things, you know, those like 
Jamaican vocal hooks that people have over their jungle records. Like he took them, produced this, 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 this kind of old influence in a way that is obviously just ridiculously good. And suddenly everyone was all over it, you know? And I think that is what was always interesting to me with him. And, um, he overtook me obviously within a year, but that's kind of the, the lane that I was trying to go in. Like, I was like, I have this massive pool of incredible music here in my backyard. People in, in Germany and in, in Holland, whatever, have no idea what this is. Let me just feed it to them. Um, so again, a mix between obviously the global kind of like scale of moving in that direction at the time, but then also just my excitement about that development because there was so much that I recognized, you know, from the stuff that I kind of grew up with here from my house parties. So as you mentioned early in our conversation, you had very early career releases on prominent labels like Jaws's Bite This, Dim Mock, um, Insomniacs in Rotation, and Crewcast. Um, I mean, you seemed to, to be doing pretty well for yourself. So what prompted you to start rethinking your creative direction? Um, I think in a more, in a more general way, one thing that I experienced in, especially in my first year, like on the road and like meeting the people that I was making music for and with, and kind of just being out and about. And what I learned quite quickly is that as a kid that has always loved making and listening to all sorts of kind of music, it's, a, it's a scene that is very very um how should i put this like people are very religiously one thing and there isn't a lot of openness to kind of like people experimenting there's not a lot of openness towards you know making bass house when you're a dubstep dj or you know playing dubstep in your bass house sets when you're a bass house producer whatever that even means you know it's there's a lot of silly conversation about things that really shouldn't matter there's a lot of kind of like oh his snare is not as tight as this guy's therefore he'll never be better and it's it's just like i got very bored of how one-dimensional a lot a lot of people think in that scene and i was bored of having to stick within a kind of like parameter of like 10 bpms in my set i i wanted to like throw in some some drum and bass obviously execute it well you know and like mix it properly and obviously do it the right way but like i wanted to curate all the music that i loved and not only in my sets but also in what i release and um i in my opinion you can have you know as an artist your signature or your kind of like in German, there's a saying, which is like, there's a red string going through things, which means that there's a connection, everything adds up and makes sense. And like, I think you can have your tone of voice as a musician without sticking to one genre, you know, like if you have certain characteristics in the way that you produce your music and the way that you use your synth sounds, for instance, you can make a drum and bass tune with that signature as well as a bass house tune or a techno tune. It doesn't matter to me. People in that scene didn't think that way, and so it was it was a wall that I hit, kind of like in in that year when I st when I finished uni, when I kind of started playing all those shows, and then you know, and then the pandemic happened. So this was 2019, and then I went into 2020, kind of wanting to go to the states. Um, we had lined up a couple of dates. It was supposed to be like I'd, I've never been to the states till this day, but that was supposed to be like the time, and I was going to meet with you know, some new managers, maybe some new labels just to like 
maybe see what's possible, you know, to think about how can I move my profile that I've built that I was very proud of, obviously, as you said, you know, I think did super well at the time. And um, I was I was super chuffed about it. But like, trying to figure out what's the next step, because I realized I've come to a point where like, I'm not excited about this as much as I was anymore. And so how do I move on from that? And um, yeah, but then, you know, again, the like, pandemic happened and that obviously changed everything because there was at the time, you know, you might be releasing with a good label, but that won't, you know, that won't make you a lot of money on streams for starters because you've given up your master, but also just because it's, it's not the kind of music that, that does well on streaming. You know, it's, it's not DSP friendly music. It's, it's music that lives in live and, um, and so in DJ sets. And so obviously all of that died. And at the time, no one knew how long that was going to last. No one knew anything. But what I knew is that like, I now have the time and the freedom to sit down and, and just lock myself in my room and without any distraction, just make music. Um, and obviously I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't know where I wanted to go with it, but I knew that I wanted to find myself in a space where I can make what feels right to me and not what feels right to the booking agent that we're trying to get, you know, booked by it's, it should be, it should always start with you. And so, yeah, I aimlessly kind of decided to make electronic music that was more emotional you know because that is one thing that i will say as much as i love the energy so as soon as i started playing sets i realized quite quickly because of how niche people kind of tried to make you there was no room for like vulnerability and emotion and um and i realized that that's what was missing in the pandemic because i was in my room there was no room for energy and like co2 guns and lasers and strobes it was like at the end of the day, I'm in this room and I can finally kind of like breathe and be honest about the music that I make in my room. I don't have to think about the context anymore because there is no context. It's just me in my, in my room and there is no prospect of me DJing ever again. I don't know when that will be. So, and that's when like emotion just started playing a much bigger part in what I wanted to do and the music that I was making. And I, again, just worked with loads of people, um, just had a, brilliant time just working with some beautiful and amazing artists literally across the globe on random stuff without a plan um you know singers rappers other producers instrumentalists and i literally just approached people telling them like look i don't know what i want to do where this is going but you know i really love what you do and i i, I just want to make some music and luckily loads of people wanted to join me in that journey and then from that process of just doing what Ever I wanted to do slowly kind of came out of the pandemic with a better idea of like how to channel you know this 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 kind of experience of of finally indulging in melodics and in aura and in kind of color in music in a vulnerable way while making club music because I want to make electronic music that's what I am an electronic artist right but I think that middle ground is what kind of out of this pandemic for me was the, the kind of lesson that I learned is like, I want to find a balance between being able to do both. And, um, and so, yeah, then kind of early last year, just kicked it all off again. Um, after having had that clarity throughout the process and, um, yeah, that's how I came out of it. Exactly. So you released your song for Emer. sorry, my German is, um, <laughs> a little rusty, uh, in February, 2022. 
um, yeah. which marked the beginning of this new chapter of yours. Um, tell me about the making of that track and the, I guess, the mood, the story you're pushing through. Um, you know, again, like very, the, the track came together as many of the tracks did at the time, just very, in a very unbiased, unfiltered way. Um, I was listening to a lot of Garage at the time. So, you know, I wanted to make a Garage tune and then it was like, how do I, you know, and then I made a lot of like ambient kind of like soundscapes and I made a lot of texture kind of sounds that were very, you know, drumless. And then, you know, I went, why don't we just put the two together, um, find a little vocal sample that is short yet powerful. And then melodically, I mean, and then, um, yeah, I kind of put it together. I remember struggling with the tempo because it was, it felt very slow. So I picked it up to like 140 and then I took out some drums and kind of found that balance for it eventually. And then I thought, you know, at, at that point I had had kind of like eight to like 12 probably tracks that were like ready to go. I was like, this is representative of the sound that I want to pursue now. And I decided for that to be the first one, um, just because it felt right at the time. It was quite quick. So it was similar to the stuff that I used to do, but it was a lot more melodic and a lot more obviously kind of like emotional that had a lot more um, feel to it. Um, yeah. And then I thought, okay, what, what's the aim with this project? The aim is to be able to make music forever. That doesn't really last with any trends. And so I called it for Immer German for forever. Um, because, you know, trends obviously come and go, but I think ideally you want to make music that is, you know, true to you and that will always last forever. And so, yeah, picked it up with that one. Um, didn't overthink it much, really. We just wanted to get going. And um, so, yeah, been releasing music pretty much every four weeks since, yeah. How would you generally describe the music that you make now? Because... I know you're not a, a fan of using genre labels, so uh, feel free to get as abstract as you'd like. Yeah. Um, so it's a yeah, the, the really difficult question because again, it's like genres. Genres. Um, it's hard. It's hard to like put it into a into a box. I think, which is great, um, but it also makes it difficult to talk about. Of course. <laughs> um, I think again, like the balance, the balance that I'm trying to like pursue is music that has, you know, a, a level of kind of weight through like the emotional aspect that it has, you know, it's supposed to be immersive and it's supposed to be honest and it's also supposed to be vulnerable. Like, you know, I think I'm, I'm just from like, again, like the music that I used to make just so one-dimensional like I'm willing to like now I'm not a singer-songwriter right so like I don't I write but I don't sing and so it's like I think these guys are, have the abilities just like with words communicate what they feel and so for me I need to find another way of doing that and so that's that's just been really key to me writing music that is vulnerable and that is honest and emotional um which the beautiful thing about not having to use words in that sense is because is, is that I, you know, will write a song with a certain emotion. I might have been going through a certain time at the time and that song will feel a certain way, but it might feel completely different to you. And it might speak something completely different to you, but it will still make you feel a certain way. And I think that's the beauty of like emotional electronic 
wordless music, if you like, is that it has that open kind of paradigm of you kind of have an empty room, but that's painted in a certain color. And so it's like, it's up to you what you make of that. It's not as deliberate and as kind of like literal. Um, so that's something, but then at the same time, you know, I also didn't want to make very abstract kind of music that is hard to understand that feels a bit heavy. Um, and that's where I guess like the energy comes back, you know, the, the proximity to the club life and to fun and just like ecstasy and, and release of energy. And so it's that balance of like having something that is potentially like, you know, emotionally heavy for, for, for you or for me or for anyone that is or isn't, but then it's supposed to be light and it's supposed to be fun and, um, and free for that matter. You know, it's, I don't care if the track has 133 BPM or if it's not 130, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's relevant. You know, it's just, um, stuff that I think is supposed to be also applicable to many different contexts. That's something that's been quite important to me because again, just the comparison to the past, it was, as you can imagine, very difficult for my friends or my family to like, connect with the stuff that I was doing. They could connect with my, what I like, you know, just the, the, the progress that I made and like the, the, the fact that I was able to travel for it and that I made some money, you know, not much, but like some with this abstract, crazy stuff that I was making my, in my bedroom, you know, now it's like, I actually have people, people that I've been friends with since I was a kid come to me and be like, you know, send me their like Spotify wrapped or whatever. And it's like, I'll be like the second artist on their list. It's like, people can actually connect with the music, people that I care about. And it's, that's been like the best part, honestly, about the last year is like, just like seeing that people who doesn't matter whether they're musical or whether they're not musical, people understand the music and people understand the like weightlessness, but at the same time, the kind of honesty of the music and, um, and the fact that it's like, you know, people that might be into jazz can, you know, I've got a mate who's, he listens to like, uh, it's not jazz. He listens to like old rock you know, but he listens to my music. Don't ask me why, but I think that's kind of what speaks for it a little bit. You know, it's, um, it's not boxed in. It has a very kind of open ceiling and, um, that's what I'm trying to do. It's supposed to be a room that's accessible to everyone. And, um, because again, that's, that's what I represent. You know, I like listening to every kind of music. And so I want to make music that, you know, has, a, has a similar kind of like ability the other way around. Speaking of, of rooms, uh, where, where do you make your music? Most of it happens here in this room. Um, I work in a couple of different studios in London every now and then, especially if I'm doing sessions, if we're recording stuff or if I kind of struggle with my concentration, you know, you know, when you just need to break away from your usual space just to get something done. Um, yeah, I sometimes use, um, you know, rooms up in King's Cross, like further, further north, um, into the city. Um, but most of it happens here um, if I'm using a studio and otherwise it'll be everywhere. Like, you know, the pub, I carry my laptop around with me a lot. So it can be the pub. I sit in summer, like I sit down in the park, you know, we were talking about nature earlier. It's a great thing about having a laptop. I used to work on this massive desktop thing, which was, you know, very, again, just, it, it kind of made you stay in the same, in the same space. Now it's like, I have this laptop since first year of the pandemic I believe it was and now it's like yeah I can bring it everywhere I can record everywhere um I'm very easy with that stuff you know I mentioned my grandparents farm take it there sit down somewhere in the grass and just make some music I think it's really interesting what comes of it there you know not having your monitors or the ability to mix something properly is great because it means that 
you know, something might happen that you might not have anticipated before. And then you might have some chickens in the background of your song, but that's where you were at the time. And that's what makes a track real and a song real. And so, um, yeah, if it's not this room or, you know, any other studio, it's, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. I love the diversity of your environments, but I look at your room especially, and I immediately think of coziness and um, an intimacy. And I feel like both of those qualities are really mirrored in, in your music. It just, it just looks like such a, a cozy space. Yeah. 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 It is very important to me. You know, it's like, um, also just like in a weird way like on a more personal level and a more universal level like also just such a symptom of the pandemic for me like but I feel like for a lot of people just like that kind of because we were forced to like spend so much time in an environment that we might not have wanted to spend it in like we wanted to go out and do this and do that as we usually did my understanding of like what my space is suddenly became it, it changed so much like you know I suddenly started you know, painting my walls, I put up all the stuff on my wall, graffitied it all over. I spent way more money than I should have on like pillows, like some, you know, mid forties mom, you know, it's just, I don't know, like these things have become very important to me because I think again, like everywhere you are, like it has every place, every environment has a kind of energy, same as people have energies and stuff. And so it's, how do you replicate that? And so I think it's about, not getting too comfortable because it has downsides too. And that's what I mean. It's like, just take your laptop to the park and just see what happens. And because again, the park has a certain energy, see what it, see what it does to you, you know, bring the laptop and just let it flow into your software and into your creative, creative process. And, um, you know, I think it's, um, it's important to find a balance there, but yeah, it's, it's very close to like, the music is very close to my environment and, um, and that can be broad. It can be versatile, but again, that's, a kind of honesty that is really important to me in my music and I it's just been very freeing as you can imagine you know it, it kind of now that I'm talking about it, I'm realizing that like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is almost active steps to like work as freely as possible as opposed to how it was in the past which is um which has been great I love that for you um so at the beginning of our conversation you talked about kind of these formative experiences of driving around with your dad listening to music and how that served a purpose in your early life. I, I can see how for producers and DJs, um, you know, the club is obviously the testing grounds for a new track, but I saw your recent Instagram video where you're listening back to the work in progress now known as what if in your yeah. car. So yeah. what does a car ride reveal to you about a track that a club might not. Poor. You know what? Way more things than you'd think. I think like, again, from, from a very technical point of view, I just use it as in the process of making a song. I, you know, I will, I would have made a minute for instance, and I will just whack it on, on some random other speaker in the house or in my car just to see what, what it sounds like. I think there is the problem with like, studio gear like professional kind of like studio monitors or good studio headphones is that they are too they are so surgical that they kind of tell you a very specific way of like how everything sounds and it's great but it's that that's not how people consume music you know people consume music in their car or on their iphone speaker or like you know on 
whatever Bluetooth speaker they take to, you know, a house party, whatever. So I think for me, it's really important to like expose myself to, you know, an environment that is, is closer to what the reality is. Um, and that is technical reason, but also something that you can't quite describe. It's like, you know, I think when you make music, you obviously, you tend to fall into this thing of like, oh, can I tweak it more? Can I tweak it here? So I've been trying to be quite conscious about exposing myself to it almost like from a third person point of view as early as possible in the track. Cause usually like songs come together with two, three elements. It's like one melody or one sound that you make and everything comes around that. Every, like every, everything else happens around that one element that kind of carries a song. And, um, and that can be an instrument that can be, like I said, a melody or like a vocal sample or a piano sample or a drum, whatever it is. But like, I think taking the music into environments like my car helps me distance myself from it a little bit and almost like giving it a new light. Um, and, you know, sometimes it tells me things that I would have never figured out in the studio. Um, does this go under, is it too, you know, how is the arrangement? Does it make sense when you listen to it front to back? Is there a place where the energy drops for some reason? You know, it, it's like, the further you can distance yourself from your kind of surgical process of sitting in this, in the studio and making stuff, the better because, and then just switch it up, you know, come back, go in the car and whack it on the speaker in the kitchen then listen to it on your phone speakers, listen to it on the bus. When you're on your way somewhere, when you're rushing, listen to it, when you sit down in the dark and really focus on it, every environment will tell you something else about the song. And there will be a point in which, you know, you're like, 50 60 percent into the creation of your song when you will realize that this does exactly what it needs to do in every environment and, and that's the point at which you go i'm not going to change any core ideas here i'm just going to finish it up with the way it is and then commit to this idea you know because it's the way it is now so very multi-dimensional but very important so you've been at this new direction for a little over a year now Given the success you experienced in the early half of your career, is there anything that will let you know that you're on the right track or does that even matter to you? Um, the, what's been most important to me is just the, um, because it's been really fun to be honest, because it's like, you know, the, the classic things you kind of pursue when you're starting off in electronic music is like, get support from fellow DJs, get signed to certain labels, release your music on certain labels then, you know, and then like start playing shows. And then it's like, you start playing certain shows. Like the goal is to like play this venue or like that venue or this lineup or whatever. Um, and then, you know, little things like, you know, being supported on like this YouTube channel, for instance, because it's big. Um, as much as that was relevant to me at the time, cause I was younger, these things have become completely irrelevant to me now. Um, I, my goal has the, the tiny little kind of stepping stones, of course, will you will set yourself, you know, like my little milestones that you're working towards. Like I've got this massive poster on my wall here, which is, I've got one from last year. So it's like, just, just says a trip and then goals and targets for this year. And it's just like this massive, like all these speech bubbles on it with, you know, these little kind of things that I wanted to do with the project. And there's like, certain radio presenters are on there. I wanted them to play my music and, you know, just once. So yeah, sure. You know, I've, I have these now again, like I wanted some radio presence. That's been quite important to me. 
But the things that have been most important to me in terms of indicating that I'm on the right path have not been those things, just ticking those off, but have been the things, as I mentioned earlier, like people in my vicinity, like understanding the music, that there has been nothing more like kind of valuable to me because you, you know, and, and that is not to say that like I'm making music that because I want everyone to love my music that's not the point but like people that you care about so much it's like it, it will mean something else you know and like the, the amount of support that I've been getting from the people that are most important to me has just been crazy this year and um you know some of my closest friends like asking me begging me to do a show here in London or this or that or like asking me about specific demos that I would have posted on Instagram like six months ago you know it's it's just been amazing and um and then obviously secondary to that it, it's been we've like the, the stuff that we've been able to do in the last years just been it's it's crazy if you think about it i would have never thought that you know i would be where i am now already you know with like the djs that have been the other musicians that you know have been acknowledging me and, and what i've been doing it's been really great really great you know including this like these kinds of opportunities to, like people to like reach out and like be interested in having a conversation is 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 incredible that i would have never thought a year ago that that's how quickly it would happen so it's yeah a mix of the pace but also just the personal aspect of like how this has been um perceived by my circle that yeah makes me wake up every day and just want to do more you know that's a really lovely feeling that um no one can absolutely take for granted um no it's strange as well because it's as i said it's, it's obviously a fine line between like you know kind of not wanting to sound like you make stuff to please other people you know because that's absolutely not what it is it's like i have never been more honest with the music that i want to make and the the, the combination of, of that plus the unfiltered just you know unbiased unfiltered love i've been getting for it has has just been so special and it it just it feels one million percent right um it feels right to the city that i live in it feels right to i think where electronic music is now since we've come out of this pandemic it feels right to me um so it's it's really great and i, I just can't wait to do more you know like there's so many things that we've got locked in like lined up across the board, whether it's like, you know, collaborations, or like other projects, releases, gigs, shows, like everything is kind of just coming together at the moment. So, which is the time to just obviously keep going, but um, it's easy to do so when you have so much kind of amazing feedback coming your way. And, um, and um, yeah, it's happy times for me. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Uh, so that seems like a good note to end the interview portion of our time with A-Trip um, about his life and career. Now we head into our speed round where we get to know our subject on a lighter level. A-Trip, are you ready? I think so. All right, okay. First question. You have a plane ticket for anywhere in the world. Where do you go? Tokyo. Oh, okay, why? Um, I was lucky enough to, to have gone a couple of times. I played, I played, I played there before um once or twice even and then I did a sports like a school exchange well like a sports exchange there when I was 13 or 14 Japan is like the best place in the world it's incredible 
Okay, noted for if I ever uh, take a vacation, Tokyo will be the first place I check out. <laughs> um, <laughs> club or festival? Uh, to, to play or to go? Whichever. I'm going to say I'm going to say festival because I'm suffering under the winter blues at the moment and I'm I like the idea of a sunny festival day. <laughs> I can agree. So, what's one meal that you're really good at cooking? Oh god. Um I make great salads. A salad. Yeah. Any kind of salad, I'm very good at making salads because they're easy. They make you feel good. They're light. So, if you want a good salad, I'm the person to talk to. Okay, what's your favorite salad ingredient then? What goes on? What goes in every salad you make besides lettuce? Probably like Parmigiano Ooh. cheese. Yeah. Okay, you do do it fancy. Okay. <laughs> favorite movie or TV show? Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay. Okay, I see you. Um, last album you listened to? Um, properly listened to the new Slow Tie, the new Slow Tie album. Yeah, good review. Oh, amazing, amazing. He's he's like, um, I love him. He's 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 one of these people that he's a rapper, but his progression, like over the years, has just been some. I I'm in awe with his honesty about his work and his mistakes and stuff. From very early on, he's been very honest about the you know, his life, everything he does musically, he's diverse. This new record is like a punk album, like amazing. Uh, favorite color? Yellow. Yellow? Or red. Yellow or red, yeah. Ooh, okay. Um, dream collaborator from any genre? Can be dead or alive. You gotta bring them back. Oh, very difficult. Very difficult. Um, I'm going to go for... Maybe Banksy. Oh, okay. Maybe Banksy, yeah. That's a choice. Why Banksy? Um... I mean, many obvious reasons, like the fact that that would probably be the coolest thing for any musician to ever do, but, but, but also just the, 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 the kind of the, how unattainable that is, you know, like, did, did you see Stormzy's Glastonbury performance from a couple of years ago when he performed with the, with the, he had Banksy designed like a bulletproof vest for him that he performed in. Mm -hmm. It was just incredible. Like he. Especially here in this country, like obviously everyone like knows Banksy, like everyone, there's a couple of streets in London that you go down, there's like little Banksy's, like people know them, everyone knows it's a Banksy, like he's, he's such an iconic figure in, in art and in society because of the kind of like, obviously, um, critical tone that a lot of his art has that, that would be surreal. My dream has always been to transcend music as well with like the art in the far future that I want to do. So like, someone that works in like Quentin Tarantino. Imagine I found a way to collaborate with Quentin Tarantino. That would be unbelievable, you know? 
again, seems unattainable, but that would be cool. <laughs> I feel like you find a way to figure it out. You seem like a man with a plan. Yes. <laughs> I want to be there because then someone will be quicker than me, but yes. <laughs> if you were an animal, what would you be? I would probably be... People, I've been told that I'm like a giraffe because I'm quite, I'm quite tall. I'm really nice. I'm calm. Apparently I make salads. I know that they eat leaves. <laughs> that works as well, I guess. Okay. I can see that working for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you like yellow. Well, true. <laughs> He's halfway there. Um, I see you have a lot of uh, fashion posters or cutouts on your wall. Who's your favorite fashion designer at the moment? Um, I mean, I've always really admired uh, Demna Grazalia, um, just wearing him now. Um, more, not, I mean, less for the design and more for the, the kind of absurdity of what he does and how political and how social it is as well. Um, but in terms of actual design, um, probably Matthew Williams, who looks after Givenchy and um, Alix at the moment, English last, designer. Last one, you have one word to describe you. What do you choose? I'm going to go for eclectic. Eclectic. Excellent. Yeah, I'm going to go for eclectic. Okay. All right. <laughs> well... That concludes our speed round and this interview. A trip before we go. Any last words or shout outs? Shout out to my mom because I love her. And shout out to all the people, yeah, that I've that have been making the last year as special as it has been. And there is something very, very exciting dropping that I've been working on for the last year, dropping in about six weeks. And I can't wait to un unleash all of that. So and on that note, obviously, thank you for having me. It's been it's been really, really fun. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, the pleasure is all, has been all mine. So um, again, thank you so much for joining us here on Gray Area. And another thanks to y'all for tuning in. For more interviews like this, hit that subscribe button below. Until next time. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye.